Welcome to Weekly Grooves. My name is Tim Houlihan. And I'm Kurt Nelson. Each week, Weekly Grooves picks a current article or news topic, and we examine it through a behavioral science lens. We dig in deep to help you understand the psychology behind the headline. The article or topic is current, but we like to think that the insights are timeless. This week, we're looking at how we communicate risk and uncertainty. An article from the Harvard Business Review called The Art of Communicating Risk by Ann Cleveland, Cousins Newman, and Stephen Weber outlines how communicating risk, particularly uncertain risk, is difficult. Yeah, the basic premise is that organizations and humans are actually pretty good at coping with straightforward bad news, as the article says. It is when we are uncertain about how bad something might be that our communication style and frequency really, really matter. The article goes on to talk about a common dilemma that firms face whether to err on the side of communicating too much or too frequently, or not enough and too infrequently. The idea is that both of these have negative consequences. Yeah, so if you communicate too much information and people are gonna lose interest by being overwhelmed too frequently about every possible potential risk and they get fatigued. On the other side, communicate not enough information and people feel like you're hiding something and they'll lose trust communicate too infrequently, and you're just seen as incompetent or possibly even downright lying. Think about the Equifax communicating uh, the data breach incidents they had with its customers or how Deepwater Horizon oil spill was communicated out to the public. Both of these situations left a lot to be desired. Yeah. Okay. So these were both extreme examples. The concept of how to communicate risks because of an outward crisis, such as the coronavirus or something wrong with a product or service, the communication process is similar because the way we process information is basically the same. The article talks about ways that companies and people can improve how they communicate risk. We will be exploring these ideas with a behavioral lens to help you understand some of the psychology behind why these techniques work and maybe even adding in a few ideas of our own. Yeah, sounds good to me. The article highlights three hints for companies in risk communication. And let's just go, the, go through those quickly. First, stop improvising. Second, change the metric for success and measure results. And finally, design risk communication from the beginning. Okay, well, we'll take a look at each of these things. All right, you ready to do this? Yeah, let's uh, let's get start with uh, stop improvising. All right, so the key idea from the article is really to, as I quote here, commit to engaging with customers around uncertainty in a systematic, predictable way. So this idea of building a playbook for how to handle uh, these communications around risk, particularly when we think about risk and uncertainty, when they come up in times of crisis or uncertainty. So really having a standard framework would provide, uh, as they quote, empirically proven field-tested playbook for the next incident or crisis. Yeah, I, I, you know, psychologically, we desire certainty right? We love the status quo. We like things to be going the way that they have been. And especially in the midst of uncertain situations, we long for some sense of certainty. Improvisation doesn't lend itself to that. Right. And we know that stress leads to less cognitive ability, our ability to really process things 
decreases under stress. We're less able to think on our feet. So having a playbook helps with this, right? It allows us to go to the playbook and not have to use that cognitive functioning. We can just follow what the playbook says. Yeah, we can also use framing, right? Just using the right frame to discuss the situation can really have a huge impact on both behavior and that sense of comfort like, oh, you know, uh, the difference between there's a 20% chance you'll die or there's an 80% chance you're going to live, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? And the playbook can help with that framing. It can set up how do you frame these situations right. appropriately given what's going on. Yeah. And the article does go on and, and they say over time, it, having a playbook um, would, would set reasonable expectations among users and customers for what meaningful and transparent communication looks like under uncertainty, help increase the public's risk fluency, and limit the damage inflicted by nefarious actors who prey on the public's anxieties about risk. Yeah, so the big message here is being consistent helps customers who are hearing the information process the facts, right? Then they become fluent and they know what to expect. Yeah, so if this communication process is followed and it was truthful or beneficial for people in the past, they're now more likely to believe it now. In other words, hey, they told me this in the same manner last time. It was, it, it was true. It helped me out. So now when they're telling me this next piece of information, it looks the same. It feels the same. I believe that it's going to be true and it's going to help me out again. Yeah. So, okay. So we can't fully eliminate risk, but by being consistent, we can eliminate some of the fear and stress that ends up getting associated with it. Right. Now, another key aspect that they talk about is that this playbook should highlight how information gets communicated, the design of that communication, not just what is said. And the article talks about how research at Dartmouth University increased the understandability of patient inserts in prescription drugs. You know, those things that you get with your drug and it's just filled with jargon and at about a eight point oh, font and it's just legalese. really legal, right? And so what uh, Dartmouth did is they, they use these drug fact box, which resemble the nutrition fact box on food packaging. And they use that because it was familiar, but it also allows people to easily see the key information. And so drug companies can use that format in order to help say, hey, here are the potential risks associated. Here are the uh, factors that come into play when you're taking this drug. It's easy to see and understand and really makes it clear for people how much of a, of a change that is. Now, there's other aspects of this about how that could even be improved. Yeah, I was just thinking that there is some new work on this that instead of the facts box saying that say 100 calories of consuming this particular piece of food is 5% of your daily calorie intake, it could say something like, well, this 100 calorie snack uh, might require 20 minutes of brisk walking to burn off, you know, to kind of uh, morphize something into into something that's more meaningful and you go, oh, well, that might make, make me want to think about doing it or not. Right. It could be a better frame on the risk. 
Yeah, giving people real world examples, right? That this is the impact of what this is helps provide them with better information in order to make decisions, right? So going back to the Equifax piece, right? They could have talked about the data breach and how often identities yeah. are stolen and the types of situations uh, that occur out of that data breach. And that could hopefully alleviate some of the fear and concern, particularly if that uh, aspect is small, but yet still meaningful. So at least you're providing them information. And if you can really be concrete in saying, here's what this means, and here's what you can do about it, that is very helpful. Yeah. And since then, I think companies have learned a lot from those examples that that we talked about earlier and are doing a much better job of when the breach happens and the company has a firm grasp on what has been breached and what hasn't, then they're communicating that very simply, very matter of fact to the customers. And that's right. making a, a really positive difference. Okay. So it's better to have a plan in place and a playbook to help in these times. So let's go on to the next piece, which is looking at this idea of changing the metrics for success and measuring results. Yeah, so uh, the article states that uh, the measure shouldn't be avoid negative press. <laughs> like we've got to get our heads out of out of the CYA thing and and really just focus on, okay, what is it that we're about here? Okay, people have good BS detectors. They're going to see through that right away if, if it's a big CYA. So if we can do a good job of communicating the facts, that can lead to trust, right? And we could actually do a better job of reducing stress if we don't try to pull the wool over the our customers' eyes. Right. And the article says, look, in the short term, the primary goal should be to equip customers with the information they need to interpret uncertainty and act to manage their risk. In the long term, the goal should be to increase levels of ambient trust and to reduce risk where possible. So that's not about avoiding negative press. It is really focused in on the customer and building trust through being honest and sometimes even being a little bit vulnerable. Yeah. And just focus on the impact of the customer, right? Focus in on the emotional aspect of the risk. Anurag Vaish used to say that risk is not a number, risk is emotion. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's just focus on the emotion, uh, right, by proofreading all your communications with an emotional lens. Right. There are things that we could misconstrue. And so it's important to to focus on the emotional side right up front. Right. And another thing that companies could do is build in milestones for your solution. So, yes, here's the risk and here are the the next steps that we are taking and make sure that you are measuring how you're doing against those milestones. We talk about uh, making progress is really one of those things that puts people at ease. If we see we're going in the right direction, Teresa Amabil talks about this a lot in Progress Principle and in her other work, is that we really want to make sure that we are setting ourselves up to show that, hey, here's here's what we are going to be doing, here's what you can do, and then let's keep informing people about how we're doing that. That's not saying that you ignore setbacks or that you don't talk about them, yeah. but you want to make sure that you try to show things uh, in a very positive way to really, really enforce those, those positive emotions that people have and reinforce the trust that they have that we're, we're moving forward with this and not just staying stagnant or falling behind. 
Yeah. Okay. So we've identified that the primary goal of communication should not be to avoid negative press because that can actually backfire. The ideal is to focus on the emotional aspects that are facing the customer and show the process and progress for moving beyond all of this. Let's look at the final hint now in the article, and that is about designing risk communication from the beginning. Right. So again, you said mentioned before that we can't eliminate all risk or uncertainty, but what if we took that into consideration from the very beginning when we're designing products or services up front and we could think about what could go wrong? It is really this idea of doing a pre-mortem uh, at the beginning to try to identify what it is that could go wrong and then how can we build that in to prevent that if at all possible? Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways of doing a pre-mortem. You know, you could look for the flaws. You can use negative thinking. You could use concrete thinking. There's red team. There's a whole variety of ways of thinking through this. But the idea is if you've got a plan in place, if you've thought through what the potential outcomes might be, you're going to be in a much better place when the actual uh, thing explodes. Right. So if you're thinking about, hey, if there is a data breach or there is some sort of accident or there is some natural disaster and you're thinking about your product, if you're thinking about that upfront, you might be building in ways. So, all right, particularly in this digital world, do we have some way to help communicate back with our customers and provide a feedback loop, helping those consumers get back to the company and provide us with information and that we can quickly send communication to them. Or it may be ways to say, hey, here's what to do in these types of situations. Or you might be able to even build in things that would prevent something bad from happening just thinking about this because it's very concrete. And that over and above is really a positive thing. Okay. So I think we've covered all of this. So let's recap. That sounds good. Uh, the world is risky and it's uncertain, right? Especially right now. Our communication shouldn't increase our fears. Instead, it should help us see the truth and to find solutions. Yeah. The article outlines areas on how to increase the effectiveness of risk communication. First, stop improvising. Second, change the metric for success and measure results. And finally, design risk communications in from the beginning. Yeah. Instead of improvising when a challenge arises, have a plan, have a playbook in place. Make sure that you are prepared for how to respond, even in the design of how to respond. So provide people with enough information in the right frame and the right time frame to alleviate fears, not to add to them. Build trust. Don't destroy it. Make sure that you are looking at the right success measures. It's not about decreasing negative publicity. Instead, it should focus on solving the short-term issues for the customer and, the and in long-term, building trust in the company and in your response and overall reducing risk. That means being honest and transparent and forthright about the situation and providing actionable steps to move things forward. Absolutely. So think about building your services and products with the idea of how you would communicate the downside issue issues if they arise. So use the concept of a pre-mortem in this way to avoid those potential miscues and failures. Build in feedback loops so that you can effectively communicate with the people that are using the product and service to ensure that you can communicate during uncertain times effectively. 
Okay, I think this wraps this up. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as always, and it is always our pleasure to share these thoughts and ideas with you, and we hope that you enjoyed this and found it useful. If you did, please share it with a friend, mention us on social media, or leave us a review on Apple or whichever pod service you use. We hope you go out and find your group this week. Thank you.